0: now my pleasure to introduce Michelle, our speaker this morning. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Michelle. I'm a compulsive liver eater and a bulimic. Hi, Michelle. hi, hi, hi. hi. Uh, thank you, Tusa, for asking me to speak, and um, I'm grateful to be here. Those of you that know me know I do not like to speak and have um, a lot of anxiety around it. And in knowing that about myself, I still feel grateful to have the opportunity to be here because this saves my life, um, bottom line. (sighs) Um, Let's see. So to get some numbers out of the way, I've been in program for about eight and a half, going on nine years. And um, when I came into program, I weighed around 200 pounds and um, was... Absolutely, when I walked in the door, given, uh, or I think I had it before I walked in, actually, this gift of desperation. And uh, then I was given the gift of abstinence, and I have not thrown up since then. And um, soon after I stopped throwing up, um, like within that next year, the food started to sort of take a proper place, and it stopped ruling my life. And a moderate, conservative, healthy food plants evolved and then um, I lost um, my weight in the first year of program and I've been able to maintain that thanks to um, the tools and my higher power so those are the numbers and I um, it's it's good for me to remember what it was like, and I really have no idea how I'm going to talk for this long. Um, but uh, I think I'm just going to start talking about what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, because that's what my sponsor tells me to do, and um, that little structure seems to work for me. So, um, what it was like growing up as a compulsive rubber eater and a bulimic, um, um, you know, it was it was good, and it was that, and there was everything in between, and I think that the big book tells me that this disease is progressive, and in my experience, that is what I have observed with my disease. Um, over the years, my disease got worse and worse and worse. It started off with me sneaking food as a young child, and hiding and eating, and feeling guilty about eating, and um, over a few years, that turned into um, trying to control my food and going to any lengths to control my food. And, you know, I was always obsessed with food. <laughs> it was just the most important thing to me. And I really had an awareness as a young child that other kids were not as excited about the food as me. <laughs> and, it, you know, it I've had this fear that I wasn't going to get enough, you know, it wasn't going to be okay, I surely was not going to get the right piece of cake, you know, and it was just not going to be enough, whatever it was, and um, so, I, you know, I <laughs> I am, um, bless you, I feel like at this point in my life, this disease, I, it, it, mm, I'm blessed to have it. Because it, you know, has given me such a beautiful, joyful existence. And I truly believe it's exactly the way it's supposed to be, the whole thing from start to now. And will be as till the day I die. Um, I started taking diet pills like over-the-counter diet pills when i was about 12 years old and um i was heavily involved with dancing and was dancing for about six to eight hours every day at a pretty young age and um in between classes would go to the fast food place on the corner and eat and then go back to class and um None of the other kids really wanted to do that, and I remember just having to, like, bribe people. I'll buy you some food if you come with me and if you eat with me. And throughout my life, I would attract friends to me that would engage in abusive behavior with me and sort of participate. And if I had people around me that were doing these unhealthy things, then I didn't have to look at myself and what I was doing to myself. Um, I was taught by some fellow dancers how to throw up, and it started with just, like, chewing food and then... um, not swallowing it. And then um, I really thought that I had found a solution for all this eating that I wanted to do when I discovered throwing up. And very quickly, it took a hold of me, and um, I think at that time, it kept me alive because I didn't have a way to kind of be in the world and process my emotions, and when I experienced a feeling, it wasn't okay with my family, and um, and not my family. They were absolutely loving and um, loved me unconditionally, but it definitely my home was not a safe place for me to feel, and or at least that was my perception of what it was like and um, so when I would have a feeling I would find tremendous relief from throwing up and um, getting rid of the food and somehow I felt like I was getting rid of the feelings that way and so this just became like a really sick cycle and it progressed and it got to the point where um, I couldn't have any food in my stomach at all without having to get rid of it and definitely abuse laxatives. And um, and I really felt like everything was okay. For years and years and years, I felt like I had it under control. And I remember telling people that came up to me and said, um, mm, we think you have a problem. Maybe throwing up isn't the best thing to do. And, and I remember saying many times, I have it under control. And I really believed that. I really, truly thought that i found a way you know i found a way a solution and that it was okay meanwhile my life was getting crazier and crazier and i was everything about my life was centered around getting the food and then getting rid of the food and so as a result my life got smaller and smaller and more chaotic and um All of the behaviors were a result of the food obsession, and um, I began to steal things from people, especially friends and family, and um, I was very, very sneaky, and I lied a lot. Um, I'm not proud of the things that I did when when I was growing up. And, you know, I I was just terrified. I was absolutely in fear. And I have been taught in here that, you know, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. And I would create these scenarios in my head of things that hadn't even happened yet. And what a waste, you know, what a selling myself short, like just deciding how life is going to be, how tomorrow is going to be, how the situation is going to play out. And, you know, playing God all over the place, just saying, "I, I... Choose to believe that this terrible thing is going to happen. And um, so I was just ripped by this fear. And um, it became very apparent that I did not like myself. And I really judged people around me. And I was judging myself the harshest of all. So um, I had all these dreams and hopes. And I was an overachiever and a perfectionist. And as I kind of grew up, my disease got bigger and bigger. And all of these dreams and hopes just started to kind of be out of reach. And I felt like I was drowning. I really felt like... um, Life was becoming overwhelming. And, you know, I tried going to therapy. I tried going to eating disorder clinics. Uh, I got to a point where I thought, if you stop throwing up, things will be okay. I had no idea that I was a compulsive eater; that that was such a thing. You know, I had no idea. And so I thought, if I can just stop throwing up, it will be all right. I didn't realize that taking laxatives <laughs> was part of bulimia. <laughs> so I kept that going for a while. and um, And I... Would read every book that I could get my hands on, every kind of self-help, self-improvement book, you know, just studying it and underlining and highlighting and cutting out pages and taping pictures to the alarm clock, to the refrigerator, you know. It was about if I could just get the outside looking okay I felt like my life would be all right. And, you know, what a small way to live. I didn't realize how selfish I was until I came into this program. I didn't realize how everything revolved around me. And um, I, really, I really had that experience of walking into a room and feeling like I don't belong here. Everyone's looking at me. No one's looking at me. Everyone hates me. I wish everyone loved me. Maybe everyone loves me. You know, and it was just the world, you know, revolved around this obsession with myself and me wanting to reach this idea of what I thought the perfect Michelle was in my head, you know, created this just flux of disease behavior that got worse and worse um, over time. And it got to the point where I was really depressed and I couldn't get out of bed and I was in therapy, and they wanted to put me on medication, and, you know, they said I was clinically depressed. And um, when I would drive down the road, I would really think about how I could just crash the car into a tree, and it would be over. And that really made a lot of sense to me because I was so miserable and unhappy that I didn't feel like I belonged on the planet and, you know, that breaks my little heart right now thinking about that because, um, we, you know, we all belong here. And I didn't feel like I deserved life. And so um, mm, I guess what happened to get me into program was a series of, ev- of events that brought me against the wall. And I found myself kind of against the wall with nowhere else to go, and it was, um, actually my husband now, who was my boyfriend at the time, and had been (coughs) my boyfriend for many years, um, he, let me back up, this is kind of funny, this is like the part where I get to laugh at my story, and some of you have heard this before, but, um, I was in a, a wedding, and this was in November of 97, and, um, I was a bridesmaid, and I had lied about the size of the bridesmaid's dress. <laughs> and when I got the dress, I didn't try it on because I did not want to ever look at reality. And it was the night before the wedding. I finally tried the dress on. It did not fit me. And um, there, there was nowhere to go to get it altered at that point. And so I altered it myself, like cutting and, you know, sewing material. and. Um, mm-hmm. And I really felt like my world was crashing in at that point. I had barely graduated from college, and, um, you know, I think my poor teachers just wanted to let me out. (laughs) You know, and I I was dancing, and I would go into the rooms, and I would look in the mirror, and at that point, you know, I'm just bigger and bigger and bigger every day, and I would just start crying and leave, and so I wasn't showing up, and you can't really get a grade for things you're not showing up for. So, anyway, I had just barely graduated from college, and um, I couldn't hold down a job. You know, I had this dream to do this thing with my life, and I was too fat to do it. I couldn't get off the ground to do it. (laughs) And um, I would, you know, be hyperventilating when I tried to walk up steps, much less, you know, to dance around. So, I had gone through many jobs that I... bailed out of them um in a very ungraceful way and and i had one job left and i was teaching these kids and i had to go teach a class right before the wedding and so i was up all night long crying this dumb dress and um i didn't have any friends to call because people didn't really want to be around me at that point in my life and calling my husband, boyfriend, then, he was the only person that was kind of sticking around. And he looked at me that night, and I had just yelled at him and his friend because they were doing something I didn't think that they should be doing, and I knew what everyone should be doing, you know. I really did. And, um, and he stood up, and he, he's very easygoing, and he said to me, you're crazy, and I cannot do this anymore. And it was like the world stopped. And he walked away, and he closed the door. And his friends looking at me, <laughs> and I'm crying. And, and um, I thought, okay, that was the, that that was it. I have no one. That, and I cried the whole night long. I went puffy-faced to go teach this class. One little girl showed up to my class because I guess you know they all just wanted to be around me at that time in my life, and um, and it was a full class when I started teaching it a few months before that. Um, and then I went to the wedding and I'm wearing this dress that I had sewn up so that it would fit and. Years into program, I remembered that at the wedding, I had pulled a chair up to the end of the buffet table so that I could be closer to the food. And people walked around my chair as they went around them. And I did not think anything of it. I had actually talked a couple people into joining me at the buffet table. (laughs) I wanted to, I needed, I didn't want to, I needed to be near the pasta bar. I needed to be near it. And, And that's, the truth, the reality, the sad reality. And uh, so that was kind of like hitting my bottom that day. <laughs> For me, that's, that's what it looked like. Um, after that, the next day, I went to a spiritual healer, and um, he, he did these things... <laughs> Whatever. He, he led me through this whole session. At the end of it, he told me to go to OA. <laughs> now, granted, other people had told me to go to OA before, and I had actually been to an OA meeting, and I thought everyone was loopy and just out of their mind, and I did not belong there. And um, yet, when he said that, it just sounded like the thing to do. And so, it was either that day or the next day I went to a meeting, and That was the beginning of it for me. It it all just fell into place after that. I I definitely um, went to at least a meeting a day for a long time. Sometimes I would go to two meetings a day, and I would drive 45 minutes to an hour sometimes to find a meeting. I heard something in the rooms that resonated as some kind of peace to me, and... I had no idea what was wrong with me. I had no idea what was going to happen, but I knew that I just felt a little bit more okay when I was in the room. And um, there was this man, in a, I started program in Dallas, and there was this man in L.A. when I moved here a year after I'd been in Dallas in program, and um, this man used to say, you know, let us love you until you can love yourself. And that's what people did for me when I came into program they just took a hold of me, and they loved to hug in Dallas, and they, you know, they would hug you, and, and, um, just you know say call me let's have lunch let's do this let's do that I was terrified to eat with these people that like knew how to eat you know and I remember sitting in at lunch with all these people from a meeting and and I was looking at their food thinking how are they what are they how do they do it how do they eat like they're just eating how it, it doesn't make sense and you know and finally I got up the nerve to ask somebody you know well how do you know what to eat and if I ate that you know I would want a lot of it. And so, and she, well, everyone's food is different. And let me show you what I buy when I go grocery shopping. And, they, you know, she took me through the aisles, and she pointed out foods to me. And she said, this is how you read a label. <laughs> and, um, and so, everything I know today, I learned from people in program. And everything that is beautiful in my life today is a result of this program. I just threw my hands up, and I said, I don't know how to do this. I really, truly understood I was powerless over food, and I knew that my life was unmanageable, and took step one like I have never taken anything else in my life before, and I just took the advice of whoever would give me some at that point. Um, I got a sponsor, and she was wonderful. She had me meet with her every week. We started working the steps from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she told me what to eat. She told me what to do. She told me what to think, and that's exactly what I needed. I needed someone to break it down very, very simply for me because I can make things very complicated in my little head. And um, I didn't have a higher power or a God when I started working with her and that was one of the problems I had with OA at first. I did not want to be part of any religion and it frightened me when I heard people talking about God in the rooms. And I had this sponsor, Marianne, who told me to get on my knees and pray to God. But I, I, uh (laughs) uh-uh. I, you know, I believed that God knew everything that I had done, and God was going to punish me. And if I got on my knees, it was just I was pausing for God to realize that, you know, I was there and then think bad things were going to happen to me as a result. And so um, I did it anyway. I got on my knees, and I said the prayers she told me to say. And, um, and I started hearing people in the meetings. Once I opened myself up to possibility, I started hearing people say, you can define your higher powers anything you want. It can be a chair. It can be a tree. It can be the sky. It can be a dog. It can be your sponsor, whatever. And um, all of the parameters I kind of set around the idea of God started dissolving. And I was able to very slowly cultivate this relationship with a higher power. And today, that is the most important thing in my life. Um, Now, without my program... I don't have any connection to that source at all. And, and briefly, I want to just share how kind of what's been going on recently with me. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. So I've been in program eight and a half years, which if you would have told me that I would have been around this long, I would have thought you were crazy. And if I, if I would have heard you say, you know, you weren't going to eat X, Y, and Z foods for this many years. I remember sitting in a meeting in the very beginning and heard people talking about not eating chocolate. And that idea was so alien to me, I I wanted to leave. I, I didn't think, you know, life would be worth living without certain food items because that was my life, you know. It, it, that was it. And so um, when... A day at a time, I was able to start letting go of the food. And I'm talking, I would lock myself in the bathroom, in the bathtub, between, you know, finishing dinner and going to bed sometimes, just to not go into the kitchen to eat. I would go to any length in those first, you know, 30, 60 days not to eat because the craving was really strong. And, you know, food was like my heroin. It took me to a place that... um, just made everything kind of numb and shut off the feelings and the problems and you know the ironic thing is when I eat for a moment it's okay and then my problems get 100 times worse so my deal was if I just kept eating I would never get to the part of it like getting any worse and so yeah. that, that's what I did <laughs> and um yeah. You know, it was it was a painful, very, very painful way to live and and it really felt like it was coming off, off a drug for me when I was coming off food. And slowly I started utilizing the tools that this program has to offer and that started easing that craving a bit and the craving started, you know, to go away. So um my abstinence is no binging, no purging in any form whatsoever. And then I have a food plan that supports my abstinence. It took me about a year to figure out the difference between food plan and abstinence. I was, I'm a slow learner. And the language of the books that we read in here was so foreign to me that I needed people to... You know, say things at least 15 t- times before I understood something, and then maybe more. So it took me a while to get many things. And my food plan over the years has changed. And the question I always ask myself is Is this supporting my abstinence? Is this food helping me to connect with my higher power? If it's not, then, you know. I really never know when it's going to be the bite that sends me back to the way I was before I came into program. I don't have the luxury of knowing that. It could be a 100 bites later. It could be the first bite. I don't know. But, you know, I've been walking around in a somewhat normal body for, you know, almost eight years now. And there definitely have been moments where I feel like I'm, normal and I'm around people that are normal eaters and um I think like it's okay for me to eat certain foods and what's happened over the over just recently actually is um you know my food started getting really big and (sighs) really sexy (laughs) and um I am right now in the middle of 30 days of committing to my sponsor, not eating desserts, and emailing my food. And I used to call my food in every day. I would write it down every day. And that just sort of kind of dissolved over the years. And the freedom I felt in the last, like, week and a half of just recommitting to the very simplest thing has brought me so much freedom. It's like tasting what it was like when I was in my first year of program. There was nothing like that. You know, just being alive and not having to eat these things because it wasn't an option. You know, because I committed to my sponsor and it's gone. Once I've given it, you know, away, I cannot, I'm not allowed to take it back. Like, it's just, you know, non-negotiable. So... You know, in the big book when it says, you know, we we can be happy, joyous, and free, I hung on to that, that first year when I was in program, and that's, you know, what I decided I wanted for myself. I wanted to be happy, joyous, and free. I was not living that kind of life up until then. And in this last week, I probably had the busiest work week I've had ever this last week, and I have felt more freedom from simply sticking to my food plan that I committed to my sponsor I can't even tell you I should after the days that I've gone through this last week I should come home and be lying on the floor passed out and I've gone to the gym I've gone to classes I've been meeting with people you know I've been talking to sponsors, and and this energy is coming from something else and this is what fills me up when I'm not in the food and that is my experience when I'm in this program. I am an open channel when I'm not in the food. And it is just there for the taking. You know, whatever that is, whatever you call it, it's there's an abundance of it. And I can just let it in when there isn't food blocking it. To get the willingness to not go to the food, I don't know where that comes from. I know that... If I waited to feel like I wanted to do these things, it would never happen. <laughs> My program is based on contrary action. I do it no matter what. If I don't want to go to a meeting, I go to a meeting. You know, if I do not want to take a phone call, I take a phone call. If I want to eat that food, I don't eat that food. Like, it's just about doing the opposite of, and then that, like, moment of angst where I know I can't do it, that's when I get to grab a tool and... Ask for help, you know, because I can't do this thing. You know, it, it whipped me. It beat me down. And I am just powerless over the behaviors. And it really, it for me, in my experience, it's taking something a lot greater than me um, for it to be put in its proper place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for that, I i am so, so grateful. Um getting hot in here. <laughs> i are going to start stripping. So, um, this is where it gets exciting. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so, working the steps. I um, worked the steps twice formally, once with my sponsor in Dallas and once with my sponsor here. And then just recently in this kind of newfound willingness to work my program again I started answering on the website there are these 30 questions of like flipping and sliding or whatever and um, I started answering those questions and I I feel like whenever I can um, get into the literature and take a look at the steps and filter my life through those steps my life works itself out I don't have to figure anything out it takes care of itself just like I knew, you know, a couple weeks ago when I was talking to my sponsor about how things were feeling pretty slippery, um, I knew I didn't have the power to to make a change. I knew I couldn't in my life stop eating this one food that, you know, was calling to me every single night. I cannot. And so what I do is tell her I can't do it. And she says, oh, of course, you know, of course you can't. You know, I can't either. That's, you know, why we have this program. And she says, don't worry about that, you know. Just um, pick up the phone. Make a phone call do your tenth step at night, do your journaling, look at your day, you know, what don't you want to look at? And so I'm reading these questions, and I'm looking at the things that I don't want to look at, and the, you know, the false evidence appearing real stuff just, it goes away. I realize, like, I really don't have to figure things out, and that is such a gift. That That is the freedom for me. Um, I have learned how to love myself in this program and to be comfortable in my skin. For a person who believed that the physical body was, like, the most important thing, um, to come around to the other side and realize that it's nothing, you know, this is just kind of the thing that walks my spirit around until, you know, until it no longer is here, Um, that's a miracle. That is a miracle coming from where I came from. I would judge you in a second and, and size you up and compare you to me and figure out if I you know my placement in the world as a result of that and I don't have to do that anymore yeah what a freedom the little things that started changing because I realized that um, <laughs> so many things I don't know if I could pick one thing but um, I don't know. I I guess it's just a real blessing to not have to do this alone. Um, a day at a time is all I need to do, and I don't have to do it alone. I was reading this book the other day, and there's this story in the book about. Um, Native Americans, and there was this dance, they used to this tribal dance called the Eagle Dance or something like this, and it's an all-day thing, and it goes from sunrise to sunset, and it, it's kind of about cleansing and various things, and what they do in this dance is dance, and <laughs> they're, in a, they're in a circle, and they run towards a tree that's in the center of the circle and then back again and then they dance around and then they run to the tree and or something like that and they come back again and um it was talking about in the story how, you know, doing this all day long you would get pretty tired and there was a woman who could not run to the tree. She didn't have it in her to run to the tree. And the leader of the session or the thing came over and, you know, just sat with her and said, you know, what's going on? And she said We have like four more hours of this. I cannot do this for four more hours. There's no way. I don't have it in me. And the leader said to the woman, you don't have to do it for four more hours. You just have to get to the tree just this once. You just have to get to the tree this one time. And she was able to get to the tree. My life is manageable when I do it a day at a time. Sometimes I do it an hour at a time. Sometimes I do a minute at a time. If fear is big... I do it a minute at a time, and I ask for a lot of help. Um, it really—it's so much easier than I ever thought it would be. You know, when I when I work this program, uh, I was able to in this program reconnect with my dream. You know, that I had given up on, and today it's very much part of my life, and I'm doing it in a way that I get to be of service on a daily basis. And if you would have told me that I would get up in the morning and the first thing that popped into my head would be, God, how can I be of service today? You know, I would have... I wouldn't have believed you because my life was just all about me. And if I could help you, which in some way would then turn around and have it be helpful to me, then I would be all about helping you. But um, today... It, you know that, that just isn't important to me. It feels like my primary purpose a day at a time is to stay absent, to help other people stay absent. That's it. That's it. And, you know, I get to do this thing where I help people and um and do the thing I love to do. And I've created a business with a business partner and we have this like thriving thing that has, you know, come into the world as a result of me a day at a time working my program. And minute by minute going, I can't go do this and say this in front of all those people and, you know, be this thing that they think I am and I'm really not and they'll find me out and I'm a fraud. And and sitting there just crying, you know, not being able to go in and then calling my sponsor and just saying how I feel and her saying, okay. I hear you. And now go do it. <laughs> and and it's not you doing it, Michelle. If you let God walk in that room before you and you realize it's not you doing it, that'll be fine. And so one little step in front of the other, this is what's happened to get me to where I am today. And um, they say a lot of things in, in this program and... Um, one of them that I really believe is that I have no, my ima- if I tried to imagine what my future would be like, I'd be selling myself short. You know, my higher power has something in mind for me, like in the next hour, tonight, tomorrow, if it's given to me, that is something beyond what my little puny imagination can come up with. And um, oh gosh, I'm <laughs> gonna stop talking now. <laughs> Okay, so um, I hope I hope I was able to let you all know how grateful I am for you and for you coming to these rooms. Um, you know, I, I will be here until the day I die, coming to these rooms and sitting in these seats and claiming my seat because uh, this is what works for me, and this is what has given me this beautiful life that I'm so grateful for. So thank you guys so much.